It is March 19th, 2023. The world is still counting time by Jesus. And that says something. Let's have a prayer and we will begin. Dear Father, we're grateful, grateful to you for this day, for the measure of health and strength you give us to be here today. We know it's your gift. Thank you for hearing us, Father, because of Jesus' mediating work for us. Father, we readily confess we're needy people. Uh, we know that in you, as the scripture tells us, we live and move and have our very being. So we depend on you breath by breath, actually. Father, we all know of different ones in our families or friends, associates that are in different difficulties. Uh, you know all of those as we think about them. And we ask your blessings, Father, for physical or spiritual or emotional healing and needs. I ask your blessings today as we study your word and uh, as we fellowship together uh, during our couple of hours here uh, at Eastside. We pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Romans chapter 10. The... Uh, The big picture here, and Paul has been dealing with this throughout the book, and, and he, he continues to focus on this as he's, he's writing the church in Rome that has got a large contingent of Jewish brothers, visitors and brothers. And he goes to great lengths to try to help them understand that the old way, the old covenant, has been replaced. There's a new covenant, and it's the one that Jesus has established. And so he's continuing to deal with that um, as we get into chapter 10. I want to I read the last short paragraph in uh, chapter 9 as we move into 10 here, starting in verse 30 of chapter 9. Uh, he says, the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, they, they were heathen people, pagans. But they came to understand and learn about Christ and they attained righteousness and they did that by faith. You know, the Gentiles, the, the different pagan nations, the Greeks and so on and so forth, they, they didn't have to go through and unwrap a bunch of stuff in order to have faith in Jesus. They worship this idol or that idol, and Jesus comes along, does the miracles, is raised from the dead, and many of the Gentiles became believers. There was not a lot of baggage in their history to unwrap per se, like the Jews had. The Jews had 15 centuries of the law of Moses and allegiance to the law, and it was exceedingly difficult for them to give that up. And part of that culture and transition that they had was that uh, being God's people, which they were God's chosen people, they didn't associate or consider any of the Gentile nations worth relationship. 
They were lower class. They were beneath that, the, the, the Gentiles. That was beneath their group. Um, and so here Jesus comes along and all of a sudden the gospel is preached to the Gentiles too and Gentiles are becoming Christians and it's like, whoa. Of course, Paul deals with this extensively in Galatians because the Jews kept trying to bring in certain aspects of the Jewish law into the Christian faith. And Paul says, no, sir, that does not, that is not the deal. That's not what we're doing anymore. And so Paul continue here in chapter 10 about talking about the difference between faith and the law. Uh, so as I started to read verse 30, uh, the Gentiles attained righteousness, they attained it by faith, but verse 31, Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. They didn't, they didn't reach righteousness. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but they did it based on works. And they stumbled over the stumbling stone. And then he goes into a quote from Isaiah that how behold in Zion I lay a cornerstone and it is a stumbling block. And, it, and Jesus was a huge stumbling block, especially to the leadership of the Jewish nation, their religious leadership, the priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the rabbis, by and large, with a few exceptions, they just said, no, Jesus is not, that's not the Messiah. That's not who we're looking for. Uh, some jealousy because he was attracting such a following, and they just had problems. He was not the kind of Messiah that they had expected. They were expecting King David again. And in this case, at this time, to lead them against Rome and reestablish the greatness of Israel through an earthly leader, an earthly Messiah. And that was not what God had planned. So, so they're dealing with a lot of difficulty. And so he says there, they did not reach righteousness, but the Gentiles did. So let's look in at chapter 10 as we, as we begin now. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, referring to the Jews, is that they would be saved. He's restating what he said in chapter 9 and verse 2. Basically, he says, I would give up my salvation if I could trade that for my nation, that they would be saved. But he can't do that. That's not how people are saved, not, not by the barter system. But Paul is, is uh, he's hurting because his nation, the Jews, the Israelites, are largely rejecting Christ. And it, as he says again here, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that they would be saved. I bear witness, verse 2, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So Paul says, I, my, my people have a certain zeal for God. You know, when, when Pilate and other governors uh, decided to bring in certain uh, statues, uh, busts, 
of different Roman emperors, the Jews always into the temple. The Jews rejected that. They, they, they knew that they did not want to contaminate the temple system that they had, the law of Moses. They didn't want to contaminate that with pagan uh, busts and statues. And they were adamant about that. And, and by and large, that practice of trying to place the heads of Roman Caesars in strategic places, and particularly in the temple, they, they uh, from my reading of the history, they just uh, quit trying to do that because the Jews always rejected that. So they had a certain zeal for who they were. But Paul says here, not according to knowledge. Um, knowledge, is, knowledge is critical. There are certain things that God expects us to know. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free in John 8. There are certain facts that we should know among them, as on the board up there, that God became flesh. Jesus, God became flesh, John 1.14. And that he paid our sin debt for us at the cross and that he was raised in, as the son of God more powerful than Satan's greatest weapon, death. He overcame death. So he did that to save us. And he's resurrected from the grave and he ascended as our high priest, interceding for us to keep us saved. And he's coming back. There are certain facts that we, <clears throat> we have to believe about Jesus. Not a, not a ton of them, I don't think, but certain basic ones. And that, that basically summarizes a lot of it right there in those sense. You know, Wouldn't it be great to have those five symbols on the wall over there to remind us every time we walk, step into this room of who Jesus is and who we are and what he's done for us? Be, be constantly teaching us just to have those symbols on the wall. Okay, so not according to knowledge. And, and let me say this, a religion that's based that becomes all knowledge without heart and emotion and love is as empty as a religion based on feeling that doesn't have knowledge of what the facts are. Either extreme is lacking. I've, we've, if you've been in our fellowship for many years, uh, we've had some mean-spirited preachers in our group that but we're strong on facts, but a little bit short on love. That's not a good reputation to have. And then some religious groups are known for their emotion, but a lot of times it contradicts what you might read. That's, that's not a good place to be. The balance, moderation in all things, balance in all things. The thing is, the few facts that we are required to know are not that many even though the book is pretty thick. There are just a lot of details about life in this book. But basic facts that we need, and of course Jesus says, I got two commandments for you. Love God, first of all, and love your brothers yourself. And this sums up all the law and the prophets, all, all of that. He says, that's what it's about. 
So, knowledge and love. You know, Jesus said, I'm not looking for sacrifice, I'm looking for your hearts. I'm not looking for form, the formality of your worship. If you get the form right and you don't have love in your heart, and of course Paul repeats that in 1 Corinthians 13, it all, it all springs off of love. That's the whole point. That's why God came to earth for us, because he loved us, and that's what love is to us, what is to emanate from our faith. Verse 3, being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. The righteousness of God, Paul spends quite a bit of time in this book, especially in the first and second chapter and third chapter, establishing that God is righteous and just. The righteousness of God is Jesus. In Jesus, God paid for man's sin. And for those that would come to him and believe in him and follow him, that paid our sin debt. Therefore, God is righteous in allowing flawed humanity into heaven because we have accepted Jesus and come into relationship with Jesus and are covered by Jesus. And since Jesus paid our sin debt, without Jesus, I'm bearing my own sins. But when I come to Jesus and am baptized into Jesus, Scripture says, when he covers my sin debt, that's God's righteousness on me at that point. And God is just to allow you and you and us and us and me into heaven as believers in Christ because we are in Jesus' righteousness. We don't deserve it, but by coming to him and being in his righteousness, God is just to allow us into heaven. This is what he has planned all along. That was the mystery of Christ. God had planned it. 1 Peter chapter 1, before the creation of the world, it was in God's plan. He says here, the Jews did not accept God's righteousness. They didn't accept Jesus. And since they didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah, they didn't accept salvation by faith. They didn't accept God's righteousness, which was given for them as well. But they wanted to hold to the law and the customs and the traditions. And that just didn't solve their problem. You know, Jesus told the Pharisees in, in Matthew 15 and verse 9, basically said, you're holding to the traditions and to man-made laws. The Jews added a lot of their own stuff to what was expected to be pleasing to God. He said, you're following man-made laws. You're following things that you've cooked up and are putting on the people. And his comment in Matthew 15, 9, he says, so you worship me in vain, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. The commandments of men are not holy. They're not inspired. 
he tells the, the Sadducees in Matthew 22 that you err not knowing the scriptures. He said, you guys, you don't know the scriptures. You're teaching a religious system that's a man-made system. Again, knowledge was off. So they didn't accept God's righteousness, which was Jesus as our sacrifice. Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law. That means the goal, the purpose, the fulfillment. Christ is the end, the, what the law was shooting for. Galatians chapter 3, the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The law was the, the end of the law was fulfilled in Jesus. That's what he's saying in verse 4. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. When Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 in verse starting in 26 and then 27, 28, 29, we're children, children of God by faith in Jesus for as many of us as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And then he goes on to say, and in Christ there is no Jew nor Greek, male or female, bond or free. There are no classes. There's no distinction among men in Christ. We're all one. And he says in verse 29, we are Abraham's seed. So as Gentiles, which is pretty much most, of, most all of us in here probably, as Gentiles, we are Abraham's seed. And he says, and children of the promise. It's by faith. And it's important to notice when he explains that in 26, 27, 28, and 29. He says it's by faith. He puts baptism as an act of faith, not a work of merit, not something man does. Baptism is something God does. That's where God makes us new. That's where God puts us into Christ. It's God's work, not man's work. It's our faith as we obey God. So when we're baptized into Christ, we are baptized, if we're baptized into Christ, we are baptized into his righteousness. We're in his righteousness and we're saved by his righteousness. And we come to that relationship by coming to him and obeying his command. The last words he said before he left the planet. Go into all the world, tell them my story. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. Will they be saved because they did something? No. They'll be saved because God's doing something. If we obey God, we're saved because when we obey him, we come into his righteousness. And that's where salvation is. It's in Jesus. Verse 5. Uh, let me see. Okay, Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law 
that the person who does the commandments shall live by the commandments. The phrasing there is a little awkward for us. It's not quite the way we would typically say that. But he's saying if you live by the law, then you keep the law. And if you keep the law, you live because of that. If you keep the law, you'll live. But no one could. No one could and no one did until Jesus came. He was the only one that lived by the law and kept the law and who was perfect. Everyone else failed. And James says, if you fail in one part of the law, you break one commandment, you're guilty of all of it. You are now imperfect and you cannot come to heaven through the law because you're imperfect. If you'd kept it perfectly, you could have come, but you didn't. So now you need help. You need a savior. And so the Messiah is in God's plan to bring us failed people into heaven in Christ's righteousness. So Moses says, the old way, no. If you're going to be saved by the law, you, you've got to keep it all. You've got to live by the whole thing and keep it perfectly. Couldn't do it. But he says, the righteousness that is based on faith, that's different. That's a different deal. And then he goes into this and he makes a parallel between something Moses said and applied to the ancient Jews and what Jesus has put into place. This is Deuteronomy. He's referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 30. And uh, if you're looking for, it's 13 through 11 through 13. But he says, do not say in your heart, shall we go to ascend into heaven to find the Messiah, to find God? Do we have to go into the deep to find God? No, he says, he's right here near you and he's here in these commands. That's what Moses, God had given Moses the Ten Commandments. His commands do this to please me. So Moses is saying, you know, we don't have to go into heaven. We don't have to go into the depths of the sea to find God. We don't, know, we don't have to search for God. He's here, and we have his words here, right here with us. Then he makes that parallel to the current Jewish nation, and he says, it's the same with faith. By being children of faith, we don't have to say, where is God? Do I have to go to the heaven? Do I have to go to the grave to find Jesus? And his words there, who will bring Christ down? Uh, do not say in your heart, verse 6, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend to the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, the word of faith that we proclaim. So the message of Jesus God is here. He's with us. He's accessible. We have access to the Father because of Jesus, and we don't have to go searching for God in all these extreme places. Where is God? I want to follow God. How am I going to find God? He says, you have God. He's with you through Jesus. The message of Jesus is God's message to you, and that's the same message that Moses told the Israelites way back when they got the Ten Commandments. God is near. God is near. see where I want to be right now. All right. Okay. 
Um, He goes into the next section, starting in verse 8, 9, and 10. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we proclaim. And then verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. He's talking about your faith. If you acknowledge Jesus, you really believe in Jesus. He's God's son. If you're giving your heart to him, following him, you see, you're going to be saved if you're following him. Now, some will use this passage possibly in a way that may not be intended. Let me explain. What he says here, Paul says, uh, look, verse 9, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. He mentions belief and confession. And if you do that, you'll be saved. I would ask this. Is Paul contradicting Jesus? Because Jesus says in Mark 16 and 15, tell them my story. He that believes it and is baptized shall be saved. Jesus says baptism, and Paul doesn't say anything about baptism. And, but they both say you'll be saved. Is Paul contradicting Jesus? Are we going to believe Paul or Jesus? Is that our choice? No, it's not. I mean, there are other examples. Jesus says, Luke 13 and 3, unless you repent, you'll perish if you don't repent. Paul didn't mention repentance here. He said, believe and confess. Jesus says, repent and be baptized. Is there a contradiction? Then Peter says, to bring in a third personality at Pentecost, this Jesus that you killed, God raised from the dead, and God the Father has made him Lord in Christ, and they're convicted in their hearts and said, brother, what do we do? We've convicted the Savior. We've killed the Savior. He said, what do you want to do? He says, Repent in your attitude toward Jesus. He's not a heretic. He's God's son. Change your hearts. Repent and be baptized in his name for the remission of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter says, repent and be baptized for forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Spirit. So you've got different writers mentioning different things. In the first verse, though, he says, brothers and sisters, my heart desires prayers to God for the Israelites. So there's, it seems like there's two different groups. So it seems like me and you call somebody a brother and sister. They're right here. They're Christians already. He's talking about the Israelites. Yeah. I would say, I don't, uh, uh, Bill says he starts off saying brothers and sisters. What does he mean by that? Does he mean fellow Christians? I don't think so in that verse, and here's why. He's writing to the church in Rome who are brothers and sisters, but he's addressing the Jews 
who are brothers and sisters in the flesh. And he's telling the Jews, you've got to put the law away. The same thing when Ananias came to Paul after Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. And the scripture says, Paul is so upset, he goes, Ananias comes to him and he says, Brother Saul, God sent me to you and you're to follow me to this place in, uh, in Damascus. So Saul goes with him. The scripture says he prayed and didn't take food or drink for three days. He's praying. What do you think Saul's praying about? He's seen Jesus. He's found out he's been persecuting Jesus and he was wrong. Jesus has appeared to him from heaven and says, uh, go on down there to Simon's house or somewhere and I'll send someone to you and let you know what to do. So he goes, he's praying. He's waiting for someone to come to him. What do you think he's praying? Dear God, I really need some new sandals. I really do. I don't think that's what he's praying. I think he's praying, dear God, what have I done? Please forgive me. I was wrong. I didn't understand. I didn't know what I was doing. Paul was, uh, Saul at that time, he was zealous. He thought persecuting the church was what God wanted him to do. He's zealous to get rid of this sect. He's praying for forgiveness. He's found out who Jesus is, and he said, Jesus, please forgive me. I didn't know. I didn't understand. He does that for three days. He's so upset, he doesn't eat or drink. I mean, he's sincere. He is repentant. When Ananias comes to him, he's not a Christian. When Ananias comes to him, he says, Brother Saul, he was a fellow Jew. So I think when Saul is addressing in this letter, brothers, I think it has a dual application. Brothers in the church and brothers in the blood, in the flesh. Of course, Ananias says, God sent me here to tell you what to do. He says, now, arise and be baptized. It's Acts 22, 16. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. He's not a brother in Christ until he's washed away his sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. He says, if when you obey God, you're calling on the name of the Lord. He's been calling on the name of the Lord for three days and nothing had changed. When Ananias came to him, he said, you're still covered in sins, brother. So arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That's how we call on the name of the Lord. We obey him. Acts twenty-two sixteen. So some verses say one thing, some say another, and what do we do with all of this? We just put them together. They just all work together so well. When we have faith in God, faith in Jesus, we want to, and recognize him as the Savior, we want to follow him. We are glad to confess his name. We're believing him. We're following him. We're glad we want to repent and turn from our sins. As Jesus said, you must. 
even though Paul didn't say it here, Jesus has said it. It all goes together. There's no contradiction. And when Peter told the people at Pentecost, you've killed Jesus, you're guilty, and God's made him Lord and Christ, what do we do? Repent, change your hearts toward Jesus, and be baptized in his name for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus had told Peter unto you, Matthew 16, 19, unto thee I give the keys to the kingdom. You got the keys to open it up. And so that's what Peter told the crowd of thousands at Pentecost. He didn't tell the thousands of people there, it would have sure been easy, repeat this prayer after me. Here's a prayer. Let's ask Jesus into our hearts. They wanted Jesus in their hearts. Why not just say a prayer? It's not in the Bible. It's not in Scripture. He told the 3,000 were baptized that day following Peter's instructions that Peter got from Jesus They went through their own death, burial, and resurrection with Jesus by faith. Romans 6, 3 through 6, as we studied a few weeks ago. It's the best explanation of the act of baptism as far as explaining it in Scripture, in my opinion. Romans 6, 3 through 6. So it all works together. One is not contradicting the other. They all support each other, these different instructions. It's not, to me, it's not too hard. All of that happens under the umbrella of faith. It's all faith. Repentance is faith turning from sin to God. Confession is faith expressing the heart. Being baptized is faith obeying God's command. It's all faith. We're saved by faith. Jesus says, unless you love, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, John 14, 15. Do you love me? Then keep my commandments. And here's my command. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. Go through, by faith, a death, burial, and resurrection into my righteousness. Paul had been praying for three days to get into God's righteousness. God sent Ananias to Paul. God's messenger, Ananias, to Paul says, Saul at the time, Saul, you've been praying for three days. Let's not wait any longer. Get up, be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord, and wash away your sins. God's words through his prophet Ananias calling on the name of the Lord obey me washing away your sins all right Romans 10 okay we got 11 minutes good let's look at 14 
How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they going to believe in him in whom they've not heard? How are they going to hear without someone preaching? And how are they going to preach unless they're sent? I'll tell you one thing I get out of that in Paul's logic right here. Starting in 14. How are they going to call on him whom they have not believed and how they believe unless they hear? And basically then how are they going to hear unless someone preaches or tells them? Jesus told his disciples in John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, which happened at Pentecost, he will guide you into all truth. The apostles had all the truth that God had revealed to give the world. Here's what you tell them about who I am and what to do. Paul makes this argument right here. How are people going to believe unless they hear, hear, have a preacher? God is not in the business of giving more revelation today. You're not going to have a dream where God says to you, here's some more truth that you won't find in the Bible. The apostles were given all truth. John 16, 13. They had all truth. They had everything we need to know to please God. So Paul says here, how are they going to hear unless someone tells them? He's basically saying... You're not going to find out how to follow God by revelation. God's not going to give Brad a revelation in a dream or driving to town. He's not going to give Amy another one. He's not going to give Skip another one. No. Paul says you've you got to have someone teach you God's word. We're given all truth, and we've told you what to do. And they're not going to know what to do unless someone tells them. That's why we have missionaries. That's why we have missionaries. That's why we have a responsibility at some level in some way to be part of God's plan to help move others, to bring others to knowledge of Jesus. Right here. Hopefully by the example of our lives, they will see an attractive life before them and know that there's something different about that guy, something different about her. Like Eddie said two weeks ago, our lives, our example of our lives are to set the table for the conversation. Because my good example of doing good deeds does not tell someone that Jesus has died for your sins, that you can have forgiveness and that you can have eternal life because he came out of the grave. My example won't tell them that. Hopefully my example will bring them closer to wanting to know what is it that's different. But it's a spoken word. Now I can give money to support missionaries. That's a good way to help the spoken word. I can do lots of things to support spreading God's message. 
At different times, however, in my life, God will give me and you the opportunity to say something specific to someone about what I believe, what you believe. You're talking to the serviceman that came to fix your air conditioner, your furnace. We don't have air conditioner problems here. We have that back in Arkansas. You know what I believe? I believe God came to earth in the form of Jesus to show us how to live and that he went to the cross to pay my sin debt. And he came out of the grave to show me I can too. So I follow Jesus. That's the story. That's the story. So how can they hear without a preacher? It says in verse 16, five minutes, Actually, verse 16 doesn't say five minutes. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. He's quoting from Isaiah, basically, when Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, Lord, they have not all believed our word. The ancient Jews had the same problem the current Jews had. Isaiah 53, Isaiah starts off, Lord, they, who's, they're not, who's going to believe the word we've spoken? He's, it's a rhetorical question. They're not believing me. And he then describes Jesus as a man who will be rejected from the, by the people, a man of sorrow. And that message to the ancient Israelites was not what they wanted to hear about their Messiah. That was not the kind of Messiah they wanted. So ancient Israel didn't believe Isaiah's prophecy, his words about who the Messiah would be. Current Israel had the same problem. They didn't believe the words of the apostles or the words of Jesus. And that's what he's getting at right here. Current Israel had the same problem ancient Israel had, unbelief. They didn't believe. Now some of them did believe but the majority of the nation turned their shoulders. So current Israel has the same problem. And he goes on to say, uh, they've heard, verse 18. I ask, have they not heard? He says, yeah, they have. Indeed, they have. And he goes on through and he, he quotes from uh, Moses in verse 19. I will make you Israelites jealous by those who are not a nation by the Gentiles. The Gentiles will receive it. I'm going to make you, God's people, jealous by those who are not God's people. And then Isaiah, he quotes Isaiah. And he says, I have been found by those who did not seek me. Again, talking about the Gentiles. I've shown myself to them who did not ask. So, and of course with Abraham, Genesis 12, 3, by your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So the message that the Jews had from Isaiah, from Abraham, and from Moses was that God was going to save the Gentiles too. They were part of his plan. And he told them such. They never accepted that. They just kicked against that the whole way. It took a lot of convincing. 
course, we know the story of Peter in Acts 10, but we won't review that today. But Peter took a lot of convincing to understand that go preach to all the nations and to all the world meant to Gentiles too. Not just Jews scattered around the world, but to all the world. And then the last verse of the chapter. But of Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. They just, as Jesus called them, stiff-necked. You're like a stiff-necked oxen. I can't turn you. I can't, you won't follow the pull of the range. You just want to go your way. You're stiff-necked. And because of that, Paul said, we turn to the Gentiles. They would receive the word, so we turn to the Gentiles. But it was God's plan all along. Jesus says in Hebrews chapter 5, he's the author of salvation to all who obey him. To all meaning all. Not just Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. Paul keeps trying to tell the Jewish audience that he's writing to that's mixed with the Gentile audience. God has a plan and it's for all people. It's to bring all people to heaven through Jesus. Who will believe? The message of Jesus is for everyone who will accept it. And that's a message we have to share today. And we're out of time. Have a great week, guys. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.